forever. Dog. Welcome to Relatively Healthy, everyone. I'm Janie Stoller, your host. And this week we are talking about death. This is one of my favorite topics and it is not anybody else's favorite topic. So when I meet someone who wants to talk about it or is entrenched in it in their lives, I can't wait to have the conversation. I was looking for guests to talk about death for so many different aspects, people who work in hospice and geriatric psychologists, and I want to talk to all those people. But the one that we have today, I actually found because I was looking up birth doulas and stumbled on this job, death doula, and I couldn't believe it existed. And I could have definitely used one a couple times in my life and um, was so fascinated by this topic. And so then when I was doing research, this person jumped out. Her name is Alua Arthur, and she's done interviews. I saw her on a Refinery29 video, and I learned more about her company. And she was so amazing and so cool. So I am so glad she's joining us today. She has a company called Going With Grace. She's based in Los Angeles, and she is a death doula and end-of-life planner. And, um, you know, if you don't want to talk about death, if you don't want to hear about death, because right now you're in an acute grieving stage, I totally understand. I've been there. If you don't want to talk about death or hear about death because you're generally uncomfortable, I recommend you try to push through. I know it's weird, but I really think we should be talking about it more. So I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy. So we are joined today by such an, an unbelievable guest with such an unbelievable role in life. Uh, this person is a death doula and end of life planner. And everything I've read and seen about her is so fantastic. I'm so excited for this conversation. Please welcome Alua Arthur. Thank you for being Hi. here. Hi. So excited to have you. Um, so for a lot of people, this might be the first time they've heard the term death doula and end-of-life planner. So how would you describe what you do? So the work of a death doula essentially is all the non-medical care and support of the dying person and the family or loved ones through the dying process. But my work is in three different areas. When people are healthy and they're just starting to think about what the end of their lives might look like, either based on an experience that they went through with somebody else or something that was somehow traumatic or they just wanna be prepared, I help them put together comprehensive end of life plans uh, when people are nearing death because they know what they're dying of and that it's probably not too far in the future. I help them create a dying experience that feels most peaceful to them. Mm-hmm. And then after death, I help family members wrap up their affairs, like close cell phone bills and um, cancel credit cards and things like that. Yeah. And we can get into this a little bit later, but I totally understand that last part. That is something that a lot of people could never anticipate is how much minutia and legal stuff, money, cancellation, all of that stuff is so time consuming when you're grieving. So anything you can do to like prepare for that or, you know, even organize yourself for it. It sounds like that is such a huge, huge asset to people when they're going through grief. Yeah. And what motivated you to pursue this path? How did you start uh, in on this career? I found death work really serendipitously. Um, And it wasn't even death work I found. What I found was an absence of a conversation. Mm -hmm. I was in a bus in Cuba um, 
And there was a, I, I, I'd seen this woman earlier on when we were in line and I got the last seat on the bus and her and I started chatting and she was German and 36 and wanted to see the top six places in the world before she died. And Cuba was one of them. And so we spent some time talking about her life and we also talked about her death. Um, I was also in the midst of a very serious depression at the time. And we, as we were talking, I was talking to her about what would be left undone in her life if this disease killed her, um, what her life would have meant, um, what she thought her death would be like. I started to consider those questions for the very first time for myself. Mm. And remember distinctly looking around that bus and thinking, man, everybody here is going to die. That bus driver is going to die. All the people outside are going to die. We're all going to die. Why is this the very first real conversation I'm having about mortality? Mm-hmm. And so that's how death work initially came into my consciousness. And during that time, I felt pretty clear that I was going to support people and preparing for the end of their lives. I just really didn't know how mm-hmm. um, because I'd also been practicing law for 10 years prior. So it was like a it was a brand new thing. It just came out of nowhere and landed like a ton of bricks in my spirit. Yeah. Um, and then from there long path to get to where I am now, but that's how it came about. That's so interesting. You know, I, most people don't think about death in sort of an evolutionary way. Like if we went around thinking about all the time, we might be consumed by it. So those moments when you snap into, snap into the reality are so huge, but then to like take that and actually do something with it, that's incredible. Mm. Um, And then when you made that decision, how did you go about picking the specific path and how did you get certified? I know there's different bodies that certify death doulas. So how did that work for you? Yeah. So I want to start by clearing something up. Mm -hmm. There's no like official certifying body for death doulas. Mm -hmm. Right now, if somebody says it's a certified program, it just means you get a certificate of completion when you're done. Um, So those programs don't hold any more weight over anything else. It's just, yeah, yeah. So what I did was I I initially applied for schools for psychotherapy. I thought I was going to be a therapist to talk to people about their death. And that wasn't really hitting in my spirit. Like nothing was just totally right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I got into some programs, but it wasn't ever like a yes. And I typically like to move on yes and not like, oh, maybe. (laughs) So I decided to wait it out. And during that time, my mother got uterine cancer, Mm. and then my brother-in-law developed Burkitt's lymphoma, all Mm. within a couple of weeks of each other. Oh, my God. And my mother mother healed. My brother-in-law did not. Mm. And during that time, I got very intimately aware of what the experience is like for a family, for loved ones around the time of dying. And my sister was, you know, had a four-year-old daughter, And right after his death, I had to leave because I'd been with them for two months. I had to go and take care of myself uh, at some point and was trying to figure out how to transfer title of vehicle to his car. And I was reading this like legalese, basically, on a website, and I could not make it make sense. And as I mentioned, I have a law degree. But for some reason, these words, I was like, what is this process? Like, what are they talking about? It was so complicated. I think it was a number of things. First, it is just complicated. Next, I was grieving. I was exhausted, mm-hmm. you know? And third, it just seemed like it was so much more complex than it needed to be. I wanted to pick up the phone and call somebody and ask, how do we do this? Can you just explain to me how this gets done? Right. And there was nobody. There was nobody to talk to about 
what to do with his leftover medication or what, where to donate his, like the clothes that had changed sizes because he'd lost so much weight. Like there were so many questions in planning the funeral, where's an appropriate place? Where can we order cigars in like 20 minutes? You know, there were so many questions I had and nobody to answer them. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I decided that that was the offering that I could give is be the person that people can call to ask questions around dying to. Mm -hmm. um, so I got a certificate in death midwifery then. I, I took a death midwifery program here in Los Angeles called Sacred Crossings. And then I interned um, at a funeral home. I got a job at a hospice. I did some board trainings for the hospice, helped them develop services. I got a life insurance certificate to understand how life insurance works. I studied with estate planners. You know, I did as much of what I could within the industry to understand how we care for people. Yeah. That's and crazy. How my, that's how my, my training, my, um, that's how my training went basically. And that's how my practice looks now. That's amazing. It's so comprehensive, but everything you're talking about is the stuff that is normally lacking for a grieving family. I mean, there are so many aspects to it and you're covering all the bases that a typical hospice experience or hospital experience would never cover. That's so that's so unbelievably brilliant that you saw all that and then realized that that would be your path and how to get there. Um, and you Thanks, mentioned uh, death midwifery and you are referred to as a death doula. Why is that term uh, such a good fit for what you do? I think most people are probably familiar with doulas as birth assistants. Yeah, well, because it's the same thing. It just looks different on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we know that birth plans are commonplace now. They started becoming more in vogue in like the 70s when the home birth movement, movement started to happen and like the breastfeeding movement happened. And we shifted the way that babies are born from the 70s through to what we understand now. You can find people, professional people to come and support that aren't your doctor. You can have a birth at home. You can ask somebody questions about breastfeeding. There's places like La Leche League where, you know, there's support for birth, yet for dying, it just looks like hospice and mm -hmm. hospitals. There's medical professionals, and then that's it. So the death doula thing is just the opposite side of the coin. We're doing all that same support in that professional, compassionate, kind manner, um, just with a lot more bureaucracy and logistics because there's been a life already that now gets to get closed mm -hmm. rather than help create space for one to exist. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And so what does it look like when you're with your clients? How does how does the time work? What do you if you're with a client, what does that involve day to day? So um, are you asking if I'm with a client who is approaching death? Yeah. So talking to you, it sounds like it'd be very different. Like you're spending time with a client approaching death, with family. If it's someone yeah. who is approaching death, what might that look like, I guess? So most of the time it looks like a conversation, mm -hmm. um, a tender conversation where I ask questions about what, what a peaceful dying would look like for them. And whatever that is, I try to help them carry that out. For some people, it's about healing their relationships. Mm -hmm. um, for other people, it's about getting their affairs in order, like creating a plan. You know, um, I haven't found my birth certificate. I don't know where my social security card are. I have a life insurance policy, but I can't remember the company name, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or for some other people, it's about getting clear on the meaning of their lives and what happens when life is over. 
So there's like a, a number, number of different things that I'm trying to support with. Um, and then also helping them create the experience that feels most peaceful and authentic for them. Maybe they want to be at home. They like the smell of sandalwood um, and they want to see Gerber daisies. Mm -hmm. So we fill the room with Gerber daisies. We diffuse some sandalwood. Um, we massage feet if they like touch. Well, we don't touch at all if they don't want touch. We play some classical music if they like it. Um, just go through what the ambiance would be like, what the scene would be like, and try to do that for them. Yeah. And yeah. that when you think about when you think about that moment on the bus when you had that insight and that moment of realizing you wanted to do something about the reality of death and you look at your the job you do now has something or has anything surprised you about actually being a death doula like either through the time you spend with clients or their families or just through the experience of having this job the thing i'd say that's most surprising is how enlivening it is mm. I, I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into when the realization came to me, but I've spent six years now understanding how it actually happens and what it looks like. And at every turn, it's so rich. It's so rich and so deep and really lends a lot of life to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how else to put that, but it's so yeah. enlivening. Yeah, it can be sad too. Yeah. You know, it's it's also sad, but death can be uh, it can be beautiful and joyous as well if we choose. Yeah, I mean, I know personally, my mother she passed away from cancer. She had hospice care in home, which was many nightmares, and we were totally left in the dark. And I could have benefited from someone like you so much because it's just you've no idea what you're doing and you're thrown into the deep end to figure it out but mm -hmm. at the actual time of her death I'll never it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I mean it was mm -hmm. me and my sister our cats curled up with her because they knew which was interesting I'm sure you've seen animals that have like a weird sense about death that's that was, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have believed if I didn't see it we were playing classical music. She was with us. We said, I love you. And it was like, I totally understand what you're saying about the flip side of the birth doula because it really was so weirdly, I mean, it's horrible, but it was also beautiful to just be there and hold her hand and like see her passage. And I think a lot of people don't understand unless they've seen it, that an experience like that, that it can be a really beautiful, poignant, meaningful moment that I think about all the time and I don't feel sad about it. I feel really grateful. So I think that what you just said is something that even surprised me about my own experience with death of like being scared of it and then seeing a really beautiful one, it sort of reshapes what you think uh, it can yeah. be. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned it can be sad. What are, what are the biggest challenges of your job? Uh, resistance mm. to either the dying itself Mm -hmm. or to like larger cultural understandings about how we die. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like when it's tough, when the body is clearly failing and perhaps the doctors are aware and the family member or the loved ones know, but the person is still in this space of like fighting mm -hmm. and the space of resisting dying. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
I don't think that most of us ever get to a place where we can accept death, Mm -hmm. but I think that some of us do get to a place where we recognize that at some point we're going to have to surrender. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of my work sometimes is with people that are just getting to the point of surrender. It's much easier when they're already there um, because then we can have an open and easy conversation about what next. But Mm -hmm. when somebody is still fighting or still is trying desperately to live, when the body and everything else is saying that time is up can be challenging. Yeah. Um, Another major challenge is public perception. And, you know, like, I'm not going around selling lollipops and glitter. And sometimes it can be, uh, it can be, rough because people don't know that the work exists. They don't know that there's anything out there like it. They think, oh, we already do that. Or they're out of touch with what dying actually looks like. And um, it's a lot of public education about dying and death overall. Mm-hmm. It's so it's such a far away topic for some people. Like yeah. a lot of us don't talk about it yet. Since we're all going to uh, encounter it at some point, it serves us to talk about it. Yeah, totally. The amount of time we spend talking about births and marriages and all these other life events, it feels like we can't talk about death, but it's uh, it's a pretty significant one. Um, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> and what are the skills required for you to excel at your job? I mean, having a law degree must be huge when you're dealing with the logistics and the law, but um, are there other skills that you see as like very helpful in this career path? For sure. The law degree does help. Um, but most of like, I'm not doing anything legal right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the way that it helps is that it's helped me amass like a large amount of information about how this happens and distill it down to a way that I know it's most effective with most people. Um, but the skills that requires, I mean, most of us already have all of them, right? Like you, you were with your mom Mm -hmm. and you did all the things that humans know how to do when that time comes. I'm sure you listened and you were kind and you were compassionate and you were empathetic and you had to have patience for whatever it was that was going on. Those are a lot of the skills necessary. But there are also some technical things that are helpful to know, like what kind of, uh, like, uh, I don't know if you experienced this at all, but there are these things called chucks. They are um, pads, absorbent pads that you put under a body to catch any bodily fluids or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like no chucks, learn how to do natural death care at home, um, washing bodies, learn how learn about the permits for transferring bodies, um, funeral options, know things like how to transfer title of a vehicle, what the probate process looks like, what are wills, what's a trust, what should be in them. Um, because all of these things are things that clients are going to ask. Mm-hmm. And I found that when I didn't know the answer, I created more work for my clients than just learning it. So I could support them. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you make a life insurance claim? Um, you know, stuff like that. It's helpful to know how to do. And so that's what I'm teaching and what I'd really like to see a lot of other training programs teach as well. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, and we talked a bit about this, like, when you are grieving, all that stuff is super complicated to begin with and maybe purposefully sometimes obscure to just keep you paying for whatever it is. Like, for example, canceling my mom's cable bill was comical because it was like we needed to present a death certificate to 
Verizon or whatever. It was like, this is insane. They just want to keep charging us money and all the things you have to do to like explain to everyone this person died. Like you're, you're having grieving conversations with customer service over and over. And yeah. when you're in grief, your brain is not, you know, mush. Doing, it, ugh, it's mush. You can't it's sleep. It's soaked in sorrow. Yes, that's a great way to put it. You like there's like a fog. It just feels like you're not even you, you've no memory. You have like you can't function. So then all this stuff gets thrown on you. So to be able to have somebody walk you through all that and be very organized for you, it must be such a huge asset that you know these are the steps. These are the things that will come up, and it's not on you to take care of it. And I guess another thing that comes up is I do think some companies, at least in my experience, with my dad's death particularly, which was sudden, I felt like some people come out of the woodwork a little bit to take advantage of that fact. So, for example, Mm -hmm. we were like scrambling, where do we go for the burial? He didn't have a plan. He never expressed if he wanted to be cremated or buried. So we went to a funeral home and they were upselling us on the caskets and it was like, you know, you could put him in this pine box, but do you really love him? If you did, you'd put him in this, this Ugh. nice, you know, casket. It just was like you're taking people who are at their worst and feeling horrible and guilty and terrible and then trying to upsell them. So I feel like all these there's parts of this world that are so sad and hospice companies, too. Sometimes they just take advantage of grieving people and it's a business and I guess like I don't have a better way to phrase this question but it's like with your insight why is why is dying in this country like this like why is it like this I think that a lot of what happens right now in the dying industry is based on this lack of relationship that we have to death Mm -hmm. right because somehow it's become such a professional thing that you have to go to somebody else to show you what love looks like for your dad rather than saying i uh, rather than if we had a relationship with dying that was like this is a very natural thing this happens all the time it's catastrophic for me yet this is a regular thing that occurs i love him the same if he's in a pine box or in the cadillac of coffins um because uh, millions and billions of people have done it before it doesn't change anything mm-hmm. when we're when we're out of relationship with it when your your dad i don't know whether or not you guys had conversations about what he wanted beforehand when we're, we're not in a relationship with death we're not talking about it we're not seeing it we don't have hands on it such that we will turn to somebody and say, oh, yeah, this seems like a really good idea. Yeah, let me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because if your dad had communicated or if you'd had an opportunity to talk to him about it, he pr- I don't know your dad, obviously, but my gut probably tells me he would have said, don't go broke trying to get me an expensive casket. Right, right, right. Like, <sighs> yeah. And that's the thing. And then when you're when you don't have the conversations everything is so much more loaded because I'm assuming most people, if you had the conversation, would say, keep it simple, like, just remember yes. me. That's what matters. But when you're freaking out about the person's legacy and what kind of daughter you were and all that, like, everything is just heightened after the fact. You never get to ask the question, so you just, like, your brain goes to the craziest place. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And if we were a culture that talked about death more, mm-hmm. then these wouldn't be a mystery, Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I know people are scared to talk about it because facing mortality is just scary or talking about it with your family, you may upset them. But I know there are other there are other cultures. This, it just feels like it's very specific to ours right now where it's just 
very much not talked about. There are so many other conversations we have and we push through the discomfort. But this is one that even when I bring it up with people who, particularly people who have like not experienced death of a loved one, it's it can be a struggle to to have a conversation. I feel like when you're like in the club, you can have it. But a lot of people who haven't faced it directly really just they can't talk about it. It's just shoved down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I see that as well. Yeah. Are there common yeah. are there common fears that you or concerns about death like, you know, that you hear from the people you work with or their families? I mean, you mentioned sometimes you help them with relationships and making sure that they, you know, I, I don't know the the term you'd use, but some of the uh, close some of the loops and like make sure that there's closure. Are there are there common things that you that you hear about like fears or concerns when it when it comes to that stuff? Yeah, the fears around dying are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in like a couple of big categories. One is what I call the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Right? Oh shoot! Well. If I die, then I won't be around to watch my kids grow up or I won't be around to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they fear the fear of missing out, technically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it is funny to address FOMO. Uh, it's called FOMO for something that's so massive, but it really is <laughs> when you get to the root of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are also really afraid of the pain. They're afraid of dying and what that that what the what it, the body might feel like as dying happens because none of us have done it before and don't have recollection if we have of the body going through a process like that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is just the incredible fear of the unknown, which mm-hmm. is kind of tied to the fear of the pain and what happens to the body is that earth and life is what we know very well. And nobody that has gone all the way to the other side has ever come back to tell us what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. And so we're going on a ride with no guidebook and no idea of what to look for. I mean, I get nervous when I'm taking international trips, Yeah. you know, yeah. and there I have a passport and I can do internet research and I can buy a guidebook and uh, into insurance if I need to, mm-hmm. if I hate it and I want to come back. But we're going to someplace way unknown or we're not going to any place at all. So the the last major group I'd say is uncertainty about if the afterlife or if there is one, um, if this is it or if it's not. That makes people very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, also, one last one I'd say is the they say often that a fear of death is a fear of a life not fully lived. Mm-hmm. So people feeling as though they haven't done with this life what they would have enjoyed or what they would have really wanted to. Um, and shoot, I don't want to die tomorrow because I still have X, Y, and Z that I still really want to do. Being in this position must give you so much insight for that in terms of life and how to and how to live a meaningful life. I'm sure that the conversations are, yeah, like those conversations must be very tough, tough to hear. And also such a stark reminder of how valuable your life is while you're gifted it. Um, absolutely it's all very useful but don't get me wrong I still often be like oh I'll just deal with it tomorrow and then every (laughs) once in a while I'm like oh wait but what if I don't have tomorrow yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but then it's like it's funny like I guess some people when they think about death they think about a bucket list and where they want to travel and then there's some people who I think I might be more in this camp it's like if I found out you're gonna die in a week I'd be like I just want to do the same thing then I just want to like live a normal life you know like I don't have to yeah you don't have to see the world um, 
And so, you know, I think like a big thing you're talking about is people should be pushing through the discomfort. And it'd be great if we could be having conversations about death with our loved ones and our families before, you know, it's before it becomes one of these last minute logistical nightmares and becomes, you know, delayed. And uh, I'm curious like about, I mean, we mentioned your views on death and dying, but since embarking on this career, do you, do you feel differently about death and dying yourself? Um, I'd say that, I'd say that before the realization that this was the work that I was going to do, I hadn't really given it much thought. Mm -hmm. And so now that I have, it stayed consistent. But before, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Yeah. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much people think about death. I have no idea. I feel like I think about it all the time. So I'm not like the normal person. Um, Me too, girl. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like since I started, I was researching what you do and I was looking into hospice volunteering. I've been so interested in ways to get involved. And I bet there are listeners out there, too, who would be curious if there's ways um, that they could do something remotely like what you do or or even be helpful at all. Um, So if people are interested in getting involved in end of life services, either as a death doula or volunteering, what might you say to them? Oh, I'd say first check in and see if your desire to do this is in response to grief. If Mm -hmm. you're still processing the death of somebody that you love, Mm -hmm. or if this is coming from a place of wanting to serve, Mm -hmm. um, because this, this work is about service. 100%. It's about service. Um, sometimes also there's a bit of a morbid curiosity and there's not much place for that in this work because we're here to serve. Um, I'd also say, uh, try hospice volunteering, Mm -hmm. find a hospice near you and sign up. They are fantastic organizations by and large that need some support and you'll get a nice taste of what it feels like to be around dying when you're volunteering for hospice. And then you can decide if you want to go further. Um, but if you do very much feel like this is it and this is your call, then find a training program. Um, I'm building one right now. I've built one that is oh, um, teaching people how to do death dueling and end of life planning in a holistic way. All the things that we've basically covered here cool. um, today. So find a training program. Um, if mine doesn't resonate with you, just find a teacher that you resonate with. And if you do want to do this as a practice, and if you want to do this professionally, make sure you find somebody to teach you who is also doing it professionally, because it makes no sense to sign up to get taught by somebody who is not a current death doula. So find a death doula if you want to learn how to be a death doula. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hospice. Volunteer for hospice is the first step. Just find a hospice and start volunteering. You'll gain practical experience. um, You'll build great alliances. You'll see what it's like to work with care teams and you'll get like hands on and see what it's like. Yeah, that's great. I definitely want to do that. I've seen in L.A. even I started researching like I know UCLA has a volunteer program for uh, people who want to work in hospice. So there's a lot of, oppor- it, like you're saying, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, that's great. So I really want to thank you so much for being on this show. I just think the work you do is so incredible and you're so incredible and so inspiring. And um, if people are interested more in what you do and maybe want to like 
use your services or ask you questions, is there a place you would point them on the internet? Yes, you can find me at goingwithgrace.com. And Going With Grace is the name of my company that offers end-of-life planning, training, and support. So it's www.goingwithgrace.com. And if you just want to look at some interesting pictures and get some quotes every once in a while about life and death, because I really can't help myself. That's like all I talk about. Um, You can find me, us on Instagram at going underscore with underscore grace. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you, Janie. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.